The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, and by God's grace, episodes to follow, we revisit a popular topic wherein we continue to look at various apparent, supposed Bible contradictions presented by atheists, skeptics, and humanists. As before, we will examine them against what the Bible says in context, according to proper exegesis, using the languages in question, correct grammar, the culture of the day, and most importantly, the prism of spiritual discernment given by God to those who truly desire to understand his revelation of himself and his relationship to man. As a prelude to answering any apparent Bible contradictions, if you, as a listener, have not done so already, listening to the introductory episode regarding questions about contradictions will be an indispensable prologue to fully understanding 
or more importantly, answering any question or apparent contradiction which exists. Therefore, I will have to rely from this point forward on the listener to faithfully adopt the biblical posture of the Berean Bible student who is willing and able to do their own respective homework in order to avoid the pitfalls inherent from failing to do so. In our last episode, we began examining and answering our 51st question regarding supposed Bible contradictions from our old friend, Mr. Ash, the atheist, skeptic, and humanist. Since our 51st question was one of which Mr. Ash chose to compound and conflate with numerous issues, we were obliged to spend more time dealing with a greater degree of Mr. Ash's confusion. As a result, we only partially addressed Mr. Ash's issue in episode 21. Here, we continue with the remainder of Mr. Ash's complaint. By reminder, our 51st randomly selected serious fundamental attack on the Christian message and apparent contradiction from Mr. Ash was, are God's rules consistent or not? Now, as we proceed through the maze of Mr. Ash's question regarding God's consistency, it is clear that Mr. Ash retreads a lot of unresolved personal issues, and he predictably throws these issues in under the umbrella of quote-unquote consistency in the hope that by presenting argument ad nauseum, or by stacking the deck with multiple arguments, that the strength and veracity of Mr. Ash's central thesis is thereby proven. However, in truth, even the greatest number of erroneous arguments, no matter how many or how complex, proves nothing other than the ability to conceive erroneous arguments and stack them together. Strength in numbers, regardless of how great the percentage, does not change truth and reality. So, let's look at the arguments, in this case, which Mr. Ash contends demonstrates dramatic change and inconsistency on God's part. A. The Bible changed from Judaism to Jesus. No. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead who is co-eternal with the Father. Take, for example, the famous Jewish Shammai from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which says, quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, unquote. Here, in this verse, the Hebrew word translated, quote-unquote, God, is the word Elohim, which is always a plural word. 
at the same time that we are admonished to hear that the Lord, who is plural, is at the same time one. In other words, the Jewish Shammai is in perfect harmony with the doctrine of the Trinity, which says that there is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, blessed God, three in one. By reminder, the Son is Jesus, who is God. Thus the truth and reality was and is there from the beginning, that Jesus is God, that Judaism is the bud, and Christianity is the flower. The Old Testament is unfolded in the New, and the New is enfolded in the Old. It is all one story about the person and nature of Jesus, who is God. B. God's intended day of worship changed from Saturday to Sunday. No. The Sabbath, meaning rest, was instituted to commemorate God and man's cessation from all of God's work, which he finished, completed, and called, quote, very good, unquote. Our ultimate worship is not contingent upon a clock or a calendar. Our ultimate worship in spirit and truth is predicated on an abiding faith and trust moment to moment on the finished work of Jesus Christ and our ability to rest, i.e. Sabbath, in that completed work as did Adam and Eve before their fall. The real change is a change where those whom God is pleased to call to himself stop worshiping based upon our merits and efforts to earn God's approval and begin to worship God based upon his unmerited righteousness, which he freely imparts to us through Christ. C. God's people embraced sacrifice in the Old Testament, and they abandoned it in the New Testament. No. The price of sin, i.e. falling short of God's glory, is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, as Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 points out. This has never changed. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people were required to sacrifice various animals to cover their sin in lieu of the people being cut off from God due to their sin. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that all of these various sacrifices were types and shadows helping mankind to understand and to depict the ultimate and final sacrifice which Jesus made for his people. The difference is that Jesus was fully human and also perfect and fully God. Thus, his sacrifice was and is perfect and complete. Therefore, 
there is no need of any further sacrifices going forward from Jesus. Repeated sacrifice was something that was only needed prior to Jesus because Jesus as God is the only one ever who made it possible that all sin would be covered for all time for those whom God is pleased to call to repentance of said sins as well as trust in Jesus' completed work. D. Now, here's a doozy. Mr. Ash theorizes that if Jesus was the focal point of the Bible, then we should find Jesus in chapter 1. Yay! Congratulations, Mr. Ash! We do! Hello! Check out the very fourth word in the first chapter of Genesis. Quote, in the beginning, God, unquote. The Hebrew word translated God here is Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. The same Hebrew word appears in almost every verse of chapter 1. Then in verse 26 of chapter 1, we get confirmation of the fact that Jesus is present. Quote, and God said, let us make God in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, unquote. Notice the plural pronouns, quote, us, and our, unquote, in company with the word Elohim. Here again, the doctrine of the Trinity from the beginning. Moving forward, there are numerous verses which teach the existence and presence of Jesus at and prior to Genesis 1, chapter 1. For example, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, quote, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word, capital W, was with God, and the Word, capital W, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, was not anything made that was made, unquote. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, speaking of the Son, i.e. Jesus, quote, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, unquote. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, quote, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners, diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, 
by whom also he made the worlds, unquote. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, quote, I am the, al uh, quote, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty, unquote. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, quote, And all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, unquote. These and a myriad of others demonstrate clearly that Jesus, as the second person of the Godhead, was present from eternity, as well as being present in Genesis 1 and throughout the Bible, cover to cover. In the end, Jesus is God, and the Bible is God's Word. Since, as John points out, Jesus is the Word, then the Bible is Jesus' words as God. The question is, then, why doesn't Mr. Ash understand Jesus' words? Uh, perhaps, when all is said and done, we can allow Jesus to speak for himself to Mr. Ash. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 43 and verse 44, quote, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Unquote. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were the intellectual elite of Jesus' day and knew the Bible as well as Mr. Ash. They could quote verses and ask gotcha questions to Jesus as well or better than Mr. Ash. The Pharisees had what Mr. Ash can only hope to have since they actually saw Jesus and could not argue whether or not he existed or was a myth. They saw Jesus' miracles firsthand, which Mr. Ash denies. Yet, despite all the empirical evidence and facts present, they, like Mr. Ash, deny Jesus' divinity. I don't know, whether out of a personal agenda 
or bias, both were and are engaged in whatever means necessary to continue the status quo and to avoid the consequences of their worldview being wrong or having to accept their need for repentance. Like the Pharisees, Mr. Ash must be in control, and in order to do that, God and the Bible must be destroyed or reinterpreted so as to keep Mr. Ash in control. The same problem manifests itself when Mr. Ash claims that the Bible's historical narrative illustrates God's inconsistency. Mr. Ash cites Adam and Eve's fall, Noah's flood, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Joseph being sold into Egypt, Moses' fall from being almost Pharaoh to a desert prophet, Israel's wanderings in the desert, the various judges of Israel, the various kings of Israel, the various captivities, plagues, trials of Israel, the fall of the first temple, Jesus coming as Messiah to redeem his people, God's movement from Israel only to the inclusion of all peoples as his potential people are all supposed examples of God's inconsistencies. In short, Mr. Ash is unhappy with God's redemptive plan of salvation for man. Presumptively, Mr. Ash would like to pretend that there was or is a shortcut plan which God could or should have taken which would meet with Mr. Ash's stamp of approval. But can we be honest? Is there any story or any potential plan that God might come up with, with which Mr. Ash would proudly proclaim that he is satisfied and that God is worthy of his loyalty and obedience as God? Well, if Mr. Ash were honest with himself and us, then the truth is that no matter how God were to have organized his plan of salvation, Mr. Ash would be unhappy as long as God was God and Mr. Ash is not. The issue is not the plan or the methodology. The issue is that God dares to be God and that Mr. Ash cannot do what is right in his own eyes without having to be responsible for the consequences. Further, Mr. Ash should never forget that the reason that the nature of man's sin, rebellion, stubbornness, stiff-neckedness, pride, and all of the things which Mr. Ash labels as quote-unquote evil exist are as a direct result of man's sin. It is man's nature of sin and rebellion which is the heart of Mr. Ash, which made God's plan of salvation necessary. It is man's rebellion against God which has and continues to make it necessary for God to deal with man in the way that Mr. Ash complains about. 
Ultimately, it is man's rebellion, which after all is said and done, causes man to have the just penalty of God's eternal wrath for those who refuse his grace. Yes, it is God who is the adult in the room, and it is Mr. Ash who is the petulant child, constantly pulling any and all threads randomly in an attempt to unravel the whole, and then having failed, throwing disjointed, ad nauseum, ad hoc, outdated tantrum arguments because he cannot have his way in the universe. For our next randomly selected apparent contradiction and supposed fundamental attack on the Christian message, Mr. Ash asks, Who should Jesus' disciples convert? In order to contrive this question, Mr. Ash quotes the following verses. Referring to the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 says, quote, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, unquote. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, quote, An Amorite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever, unquote. Speaking of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, we read in Ezra chapter 9, verse 2, quote, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yet the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass, unquote. Also, Ezra chapter 10, verse 10, quote, and Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Unquote. Also, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1 quote, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Amorite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Unquote. Also, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, quote, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, unquote. Also, Matthew chapter 15, verses 24 through 26, quote, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Unquote. 
Finally, Mr. Ash then compares all of the above to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which says, quote, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, unquote. From all of this, Mr. Ash makes the following conclusions. The Old Testament verses, as well as Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, as well as Matthew chapter 15, verses 24 through 26, all demonstrate God's attitude of non-inclusiveness, prejudice, and intolerance. Further, these verses demonstrate a contradiction with Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which would uh, include everyone everywhere. Mr. Ash complains that the same verses portray a God who is unwilling to extend salvation to certain people on the basis of prejudice, while on the other hand, Mr. Ash's understanding is that the New Testament Jesus exists to save everyone regardless. Thus, once again, it falls to us to educate and help Mr. Ash with his various logical fallacies. First of all, as was pointed out in great detail in the five-part episode entitled Questions About the Canaanites, the reason that God made his various prohibitions against these groups was because of their various practices, including child sacrifice, ritual prostitution, worship of false gods, necromancy, sexual immorality, and more. These groups were given hundreds of years of warnings from God to repent, and repentance was not forthcoming. These groups demonstrated routine hostility towards Israel and presented a history of causing Israel to abandon God and themselves for the unhealthy culture of these peoples. The prohibitions from God had nothing to do with skin color or other characteristics based upon quote-unquote prejudice. Mr. Ash assumes prejudice, racism, and bigotry on the part of God because Mr. Ash lives within the world and life view that mankind can and should do whatever is right in his own eyes. Doing anything and everything that seems good and right in one's own eyes regardless, without having any sense of restraint, no moral judgment, no commentary, unless positive and supportive, is the measure and standard of being a good person. Any moral judgments, any opinions which deny, oppose, or disagree with one's right to do what they want and feel good about is the definition of prejudice, bigotry, and racism. Since God is the ultimate source of authority for meaning, morals, truth, reality, beauty, and significance, then God is the enemy of Mr. Ash's to desire to do what is right in his own eyes. In Mr. Ash's worldview, there are never any bad people. There are never any people who are doing what is wrong. 
the only people who are doing wrong in Mr. Ash's worldview are those who dare to disagree with Mr. Ash and his desire to do what he wants as being right in his own eyes. The truth is that all of these groups mentioned in the Old Testament could and did have the opportunity to repent and to be included to one degree or another in God's plan of redemption. This has been and is the case since Genesis 3. Life then and now is a choice, a decision of whom shall I serve? We can either say, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Or we can say, as for me, I serve myself as I see fit. We should not be surprised to find God rejecting those who repeatedly reject him. We should not be surprised when God judges those who rebel against him and deserve judgment. We should not be surprised when God commands or forbids those who are his people from building relationships with those who are at enmity and odds with God. This is exactly what the case-in-chief God makes in these very verses which Mr. Ash quotes. In the case of Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3, the reason that Israel was prohibited from intermingling with the groups mentioned is given in verse 4. Quote, For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. Unquote. Now, it comes as no surprise that Mr. Ash would not care about Israel following God, but God does. Let's recall that God is the only source of life eternal, salvation, and fellowship versus damnation eternal and separation from God. Thus, at the outset, it is clear that one's world and life view and priori bias drives the outcome and understanding of this issue. In one case, Mr. Ash believes there is no God, and the God who exists according to the Bible presents a God who essentially harshes Mr. Ash's buzz with his desire for everyone to do whatever they want as right in their own eyes, and another worldview where God is the ultimate sovereign measure of all things. In the case of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, and Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1, we are told that the reason that these peoples were not to enter into the congregation was because they had demonstrated hostile and harmful behavior toward Israel and had hired Balaam to curse Israel. There would be no difference between this and Jesus telling his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verse 14, quote, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet, unquote. So in both cases, the inclusion, prejudice, judgment, and or salvation, or lack thereof, 
is contingent on the people who receive God and his word or who reject it. In Ezra chapter 9 verse 2 and Ezra chapter 10 verse 10, God prohibited interaction based upon those people's quote-unquote abominations, again detailed in the episode entitled Questions About the Canaanites, and not some superficial issue of race, skin color, or ethnicity. Finally, regarding Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 and 6, and Matthew chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. Mr. Ash believes there is some impossible, horrible situation where God comes first to offer and provide the good news of salvation, reconciliation, and restored fellowship to Israel. I guess never mind that it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, i.e. Israel i.e. the Jewish people whom God had given the promise to first? So if God had bypassed Israel and gone immediately to the Gentile, then Mr. Ash would complain that God had broken his promise. But here, God fulfills his promise and later makes provision for all, including the Gentiles, and, and Mr. Ash complains on the basis of God's supposed jaded filter of supposed prejudice or inconsistency. Uh, more importantly, Psalm chapter 118, Isaiah 53, and other verses make it clear that it was God's plan that his message and offer of salvation to Israel, i.e. the Jewish people, his own, first would be rejected in the mainstream in order that according to Romans 11, that the stumbling or casting away of Israel in part would be the opportunity for the riches of the Gentile peoples as well as the provocation to stir up the Jewish peoples. Therefore, we see that Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 is not a contradiction, but is rather a calculated, planned, logical revelation of God's plan of redemption, which is sufficient for the entire world throughout history, but effective only for those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life written from the foundation of the world. Consequently, once again, using a proper biblical world and life view, there are no contradictions here, no fundamental assaults which destroy the Christian message. There is only an inability or unwillingness for Mr. Ash to understand what the basic message of the gospel is, along with the unregenerate mind of Mr. Ash, who must at all cost deny God in order to justify himself. In all, today in this series, we have in each case serious questions posed by various individuals who hold themselves out to be scholars, critical thinkers, 
intellectuals and the like who collectively fall under the pseudonym of Mr. Ash. These and others are questions which individually and collectively serve as the basis by which we are intended to come to the conclusion that the Bible is not God's word, but rather a collection of myths and fables only to be believed by the simple-minded and the gullible. However, in truth, these 52 and a myriad remaining others are nothing more than apparent contradictions which exist and remain largely, if not exclusively, due in fact to Mr. Ash's inability or unwillingness to do his research, coupled with his unwillingness to open his mind and heart to God and his word. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.